I have a word, but it's more than one word. It's quite a few words. <laughs> How you doing today? In the snow, the cold. Yesterday I was uh, using the snowblower, and I was backing up with it. Hit some ice. Went down, fell backwards, hit my head. I had a, fortunately, I had a wool cap on, you know, and uh, I think that absorbs some of the blow. But uh, I'm on blood thinners, you know, so uh, I started to pray that I wouldn't get a bleed in my brain because I've read that that's happened, so. I got up and I shook it off like I was playing football again and started to bring back memories. Anyways, let me pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your blessings. I thank you for this word that you've given me to give to the congregation, the Kahila of God. Lord, let this community have open ears and an open heart open minds, and their spirits would be ready to absorb what uh, I believe you have given me in Yeshua's name. First, I'd like to say that uh, I had a dream, which I usually don't remember my dreams, that I was going to preach. The rabbis were going to ask me to preach right before they did ask me to preach. And I was going to preach about Joseph. Joseph. Okay, so hopefully this is a word from the Lord. I I feel it is. And it's basically, it's covering the history of Yosef. And as you know, if you've been coming here fairly regularly, we've been in the Devar Torah week after week when we finally got to Bereshit chapter 37 started to talk about Yosef and how he, he impacted the history of the world at that time. So all of us have a history. Myrna has a history. I have a history. Miles, Ray Lynn, you have a history. Wherever, uh, what I'm referring to is where your family came from, uh, what you've done in your life. Ralph, you have a history. Angie, Stevenson. Sheila, Natalie, everybody I see, Bob, if I don't mention your name, that's okay. The Polycarpios, you have a history. Bob, Joe. The history is where you came from, what you were, you you know, a lot of us, some of us came from Europe, some of us came from the Philippines, some of us came from uh, Spain. There's another Spaniard over there. And so we all have this history. And the reason I'm bringing that up, because you're going to hear that a few times as I speak, because Joseph, or Yosef in the Hebrew, is somebody who gave us a history. And this, this book here, that we call the Bible, is a history of our faith. I don't care if you're Jewish, not Jewish. It doesn't matter if you're a believer in Messiah and whether you have 
Maybe you haven't come to be a believer yet, but I think pretty, pretty much everybody is that I see here. This is our book, and this is our history. And so God gave me this word, I believe, to go over the history of Yosef. Because, you know, it's several, quite a few chapters that he's talked about. And right up till today, where we started a, a new uh, Torah book in Shemot, Exodus. And what does it start off? Exodus, or really the Hebrew name, Shemot, names. The names, and it starts off with the history of the, the patriarchs of Israel. Sons of Yaakov. And we need to know that because you don't know where you're going until you know where you came from, right? And so all of us have a history, and God gave us a history. And, you know, God wrote, he, he recorded his word through, well, the Torahs, Moshe, and all the various prophets. But he gave us his word so that we would absorb it and know where we're going. And what we're doing. So this is, if you wanted to put a title to this, Marlene, I don't know if you, if you do, The History of Yosef. So these past few weeks in the Torah have centered upon the patriarchs. But particularly Yosef. Why? Because his life, his life, created by God through the union of Raquel, Rachel, and Yaakov parallels Yeshua, the Messiah, in so many of their trials and tribulations in their lives. This is a message. It's not only about there's hate involved here. There is forgiveness. There is rejection by your brothers. There is God's deliverance and his provision for all of us. Always. So here we go. I'm going to read a little bit of scripture here. It starts off chapter, if you wanted to look at it, chapter 37 of Bereshit in the beginning. And it begins, Yaakov continued living in the land where his father had lived as a foreigner, the land of Canaan. Verse 2 begins here is the history of Yaakov. When Yaakov was 17 years old, he used to pasture the flock with his brothers, even though he was still a boy. And once when he was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, he brought a bad report about them to their father. Not the smartest thing to do. Now Yisrael loved Yosef the most of all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a long sleeve robe. You've heard of it, that ornamental robe. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they began to hate him and it, until it reached the point where they couldn't even talk with him in a civil manner. So, here is the history, like I said, of Yaakov. But instead of starting with the firstborn son, Reuben, the story transitions to Yosef, 
And it continues, as I read, when Yosef was 17 years old. Perhaps Yosef could have been a bit more tactful in his reporting back to his father, Yaakov, about what, he was, what his brothers were doing because he brought this bad report. They already didn't like him because he was favored by the dad. There was a dysfunction in the family. So here he is bringing this bad report, and it exacerbates the situation. Next, I want to read from the same chapter, verses 5 through 11. So Yosef had a dream, which he told his brothers, and that made them hate him all the more. He said to them, listen, while I tell you about this dream of mine, we were tying up bundles of wheat in the field when suddenly my bundle got up by itself and stood upright. Then your bundles came gathered around mine, and prostrated themselves before it. His brothers retorted, Yes, we will certainly be, you will certainly be our king. You'll do a great job of bossing us around. And they hated him still more for his dreams and for what he had said. He had another dream, which he told his brothers. Here, I had another dream, and there were the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars prostrating themselves before me. He told his father, too, as well as his brothers. But his father rebuked him. He says, what is this dream you've had? Do you really expect me, your mother, and your brothers to come and prostrate ourselves before you on the ground? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. These dreams are prophetic, aren't they? And at that moment in what the Lord was revealing to Joseph, it was like trying to view the landscape through a, a very heavy fog. You know what it's like when it's, we live on an island here, Long Island, and in the summertime, some, sometimes we get those really heavy days of fog that where you could hardly see across the street. I used to operate the train, as you know, and sometimes I could not see the front of the train barely. How am I going to see the station so I can slow the train down to stop at that station? And sometimes I'd get really be sweating because <laughs> I didn't want to miss the station. And believe me, it's happened to quite a few engineers in, in, back in the day. It still happens today. When you get a heavy fog, watch out. It's the same when you drive in your car. So anyways, it was, trying, it was trying, <clears throat> trying for them to look, or him, excuse me, to look through glasses that get fogged up. And you can hardly see, right? You got to take them off and wipe them and clean them up. And that's what it was like with having these dreams, at that moment in time, do we understand anything more about the future of what God will do with the nation that will be formed out of these men? No, we don't. They don't know. And we don't know. They're trying to look, as I said, through glasses or through a, a, a fog at the landscape. But they got some idea. Later on, of course, we know that the bundles of wheat could very well represent what? 
the food that Yosef would one day stockpile in Egypt for the saving of the masses of people, including Yaakov and his sons, or Yosef's brothers. Thus, the salvation of future Israel and countless others were to be used in Yosef's, were to be put into Yosef's hands, gifted to him by Almighty God. And in this dream that Yosef has, his father, Yaakov, rebukes him for where the father, the mother, and the brothers, represented by the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars, prostrate themselves before Yosef as if, it, as if he is king. History. This is what we're looking at. But to them, it was just living life. But we're looking back. And this, I'm telling you, is our history as believers. Well, this drives a permanent wedge, this, these dreams and, and Yosef telling the dad, Yaakov, about the dreams. This drives a permanent wedge between him and his brothers. But the scripture tells us that Yaakov kept this matter in mind. What for? So you think he is perhaps remembering? Adonai's promises to Yaakov that Almighty God would make a great nation out of him and his descendants also. Didn't he promise him that? He promised Abraham. He promised Isaac. He promised Yaakov. Almighty God. Perhaps God was, do- was doing of him. I'm confused here. Perhaps God was doing something very revealing here that would alter human history. Sort of like what we saw a few weeks ago when on December 6th, President Trump said the USA would recognize Jerusalem, Yerushalayim, as the capital in Israel, and that we would eventually move our embassy there. Very telling, isn't it? Do any of you remember what the scriptures say to us in Yeshayahu or Isaiah chapter 66? I'm going to turn there. You don't have to. I'm going to read that to you real quick. Isaiah, last chapter of Isaiah, chapter 66, verses 7 through 9. Before going into labor, she gave birth. Before her pains came, she delivered a male child. Who ever heard of such a thing? Who has ever seen such things? Is a country born in a day? Is a country born in a day? Is a nation brought forth all at once? For as soon as Sion went into labor, she brought forth her children. Would I let the baby break through and not be born, says Adonai? Would I, who caused the birth, shut the womb, asks your God? Do any of you remember or have you seen the movie Exodus, Paul Newman? And at a point in the movie, his dad, they're up on a balcony and it's overlooking a square in... Someplace, maybe Jerusalem. I'm not really sure where they were. And they hear the radio broadcast. 
of the United Nations voting on partition, 1947. And here they are deciding whether these Holocaust survivors, plus other people, other Jews who were already in the land, plus Arabs who were there also, we're in the land, they're voting for partition because the land is occupied for many years by England, the United Kingdom. And they're partitioning the land to decide whether there would be a Jewish state and, a, and an Arab state and so on. And what happens? I think Guatemala perhaps was the last nation, or not the last nation, but one of the, the nation that voted, that ushered in can a nation be born in a day? That was prophesied by God through Yeshayahu, through Isaiah. How many years ago? That was somewhere around seven or 800 B.C. That's what God does. And that's why I read that to you. And that's why I also started with the dreams that Joseph had and presented to his family. They didn't want to hear it. But we do because we're the believers. We're the ones who believe this book. How foolish are we? Huh? Not really. So President Trump and now even Guatemala says that they're going to move their embassy to Yerushalayim. Listening. Listen. I'm telling you that the, the Lord God shares with his people what he will do before he even does it. Through his prophets. So God shared with Yosef in his dreams what God would do in eventually elevating Yosef to a position of authority. Which at that moment in time was impossible to see. Also, that future Israel would be recreated as a nation before it's even a nation the first time. Are you with me? As the favored son, Yosef's job was to oversee the activities of Yaakov's other sons and to bring reports about their activities back to Yaakov. But as the preferred son and Yosef also being so young, they became jealous of him and hated him. Also, the dreams Yosef related to his family foretold that he was destined to rule over them increasing their envy and hatred of him. So Yosef is sent by Yaakov to bring a word back to him on how his brothers are doing with the pasturing of the flock of sheep. Arriving in Dothan, the brothers spotted him from a distance, and they conspire to kill him. Does that sound familiar? When Yeshua, in the New Covenant, is conspired against by the leadership in Israel, and they want to kill him. Well, back to Yosef. Reuben tries to convince the brothers not to kill him, to not shed his blood, but to throw him into a cistern, into a pit, but then rescue him later and restore him to their father, Yaakov. So they apprehend Yosef, and they take his ornamental robe, and they throw him into a nearby pit. 
Soon they noticed a caravan of Midianites or Ishmaelites, as some of the translations say. These are the cousins to the, to the Jewish people. Heading to Egypt, these Midianites and the brothers led by Yehuda decide to sell him to the Midianim or the merchants for 20 pieces of silver. Don't forget Yeshua was betrayed by Joseph, excuse me, by Judas for pieces of silver, 30 pieces of silver. They take the robe and kill a male goat to dip and dip the robe in blood. They bring it back to their father. And he thinks a wild animal has killed his beloved son. None of Yaakov's children could comfort him. Meanwhile, the Midianim, or the Ishmaelites, sell Yosef to an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh named Potiphar, the captain of the guard. Now here is one of the keys to this whole saga. The scriptures declare that the Lord was with Yosef and blessed everything he did. The Lord was with Yosef and blessed everything he did. In fact, he soon promoted him to manager of his entire household and possessions. Well, the Lord is with all of us. That's our history also. If you're, if you're a believer at all, you've got to know that. You've got to know that. So he prospered because God was with him, even in the suffering that he went through. The Torah describes Yosef as handsome in form and appearance. However, Potiphar's wife began trying to persuade him to sleep with her. He steadfastly refused, saying, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? You know, this is before Torah was even given. He had this moral conviction in his heart, despite all the things that happened to him. One day, as Yosef steadfastly rebuffed her advances, she grabbed him by his robe, and he fled, leaving the garment in the house. She decided to slander Yosef and falsely accused him of attempted rape to her husband, Potiphar. Wasn't Yeshua falsely accused? When he was casting out demons, they said he was doing it through Satan. Potiphar was outraged and threw Yosef into the royal prison. But again, God showed him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. The prison warden appointed him to a position of authority. And everything Yosef did, Adonai prospered him. Again, that comes up. History. Adonai prospered him. Adonai gave him favor. Adonai did it for him. There was a reason that this man who was in such a seemingly impossible position in jail, in prison, there was a reason that he was going to one day rise to the position, the other position that he was going to eventually get to. And we're getting to that. Why is this important for us to know today? Because if we walk with God and his holy and righteous ways, the almighty, 
the Almighty promises to prosper us and protect us. So even though Yosef suffered, God was intent on blessing him. This is clear encouragement for us. You know, whenever we run into problems, we got to remember about not only Yeshua, but the servants of God that ran into problems. I've never been in prison. I hope I never am. You know, but we have brothers and sisters that we don't even know about in the Lord in other countries and other places that are in prisons because of their faith. That's for sure. People getting killed for their faith. So he says, how could I do such a wicked thing against God? So one day as Joseph steadfastly rebuffed her, her advances, she grabbed him by his robe and he fled, leaving the garment in the house. She decided to slander Joseph and falsely accused him of attempted rape to her husband. I read that already. <laughs> okay. Potiphar was outraged and threw Yosef into the royal prison. I also read that. Why is this important for us? Because I just read that. All right. I'm finding my place. Hang in there with me. Anyways, the Lord Almighty, in his holy and righteous ways, the Almighty promises to prosper us and protect us. Amen? Yosef was considered a type of Messiah. By being a suffering servant, Yeshua suffered for our sins, a suffering Mashiach. While in prison, Yosef meets Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker. Both are in prison for offending their master. Both men have disturbing dreams, which Yosef correctly interprets. For the one, he says, in three days, the chief cupbearer would be released. But the chief baker would be hanged. Uh Uh-oh, too bad for you. So Yosef asked the cupbearer to advocate for his release with Pharaoh. But the chief cupbearer forgets all about Yosef. Adonai has gifted Yosef with this dream interpretation and prophecy gift it's another blessing of how he is with, with him, but the Almighty is also with us. At the end of the two, two years, Yosef had been confined in prison, a total of 12 years. Pharaoh has two unusual dreams. In one, seven lean cows devoured seven well-fed cows, yet remained lean. And in the other, seven thin ears of grain are swallowed by seven full ears, yet remained thin. Pharaoh's magicians and wise men could not explain to Pharaoh these disturbing dreams. Why? They didn't have the gift that, that Joseph had. It had to come from Almighty God. 
However, the chief cupbearer finally remembers Joseph had correctly interpreted his dreams two years ago. And he tells Pharaoh, who promptly, promptly summons Joseph to appear before him. When Joseph is told the two dreams, he explains to Pharaoh what Egypt would experience. Seven prosperous years followed by seven years of famine. That's history. The repetition of the dreams meant that the matter was certain. Pharaoh appoints Joseph as the overseer or the viceroy of the land of Egypt, who over the next seven years would amass an abundance of food to be placed in storehouses all across Egypt. As foretold, the seven years of famine begin. So let's not forget Pharaoh conferred upon Yosef a royal signet ring. He gave him fine garments, and he gave him a, vice, a viceroy's chariot. He gave him an Egyptian name, Sofnat Paneach, which means decipher of secrets. And he also gives him a daughter of an Egyptian priest named Osnat. She later gave him two sons, Manasseh, which means causing to forget. Because God had caused me to forget all the troubles I suffered at the hands of my family. The second son he called Ephraim, which means fruitfulness. We just read this morning about Shemot, how Israel was Yaakov and the 12 sons were in this land of Egypt, and they were fruitful and multiplied. Overnight, Yosef was taken from the prison dungeon and exalted to the right hand of Pharaoh himself. He was 30 years at the time of his rise to power. Who is exalted to the right hand of the Father? Yeshua. Psalm 110 tells us that. Acts chapter 7, where Stephen is about to be stoned to death, he's running down, summarizing the history of Israel, and he speaks about Yosef. And then he says he sees Yeshua at the right hand of the Father. Yaakov opens the storehouses and sold food supplies to the Egyptians. The famine was worldwide. And so not only did the people of Egypt come to Yosef, but people from all the regions of the earth. Yaakov sent all his sons, except Benjamin, except Benjamin, the sole survivor of his beloved wife, Rachel, down to Egypt to buy food. Yosef, being the governor of the land in charge of food distribution, Yaakov's sons came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Now, remember the prophetic dreams that God gave to Yosef when he was only 17? That's what was about to happen, and it did happen. Yosef, of course, recognizes them, but they don't know him. 
And he accuses them of being spies. The brothers deny the charge, explain their family background, and insist that they are only there in Egypt to buy food. Yosef orders them to bring back their brother, Benjamin, Benjamin, in order to prove their story. And he orders that they be imprisoned for three days before he lets them go. He releases nine of the ten brothers, but he holds on to Shimon as a hostage until they return with Benjamin. The brothers then remember their ill treatment of Yosef and believe that their current troubles are attributed to their foul treatment of their brother Yosef. Of course, Yosef, being a Hebrew, understood everything they were discussing amongst themselves, and he understood their display of teshuva, which is repentance, and he walked away and he quietly wept. Yosef instructed the brothers to return to Canaan, but he secretly instructed his servants to return their money inside their sacks of grain. So the brothers discovered the money and feared they would be accused of stealing. So they tell their father, Yaakov, their entire ordeal. But he refuses to let Benjamin make the return trip to Egypt with them. Reuben appeals to Yaakov to bear responsibility for his brother, Benjamin. But Yaakov refuses Finally, the, the, the conditions become so bad that Yehuda approaches his father to bear personal and eternal responsibility for the welfare of Benjamin. Yaakov relents and allows them to go with his brothers back to Egypt. And when they arrive in Egypt, they are escorted to Yosef's house. Yosef hosted a feast, and he has the brothers sit in the order of their birth, much to their astonishment. And then he has Benjamin served five times the food of the other brothers. After the feast, when the brothers were getting ready to return to Canaan, Joseph devises a scheme by ordering his servants to fill their sacks with their money and to put Yosef's silver goblet into the pack of the youngest brother, Benjamin. So the brother's caravan is overtaken by Yosef's men and find the goblet in Benjamin's possession. The brothers return and appeal to Yosef, where they prostrate themselves again, bowing again, and confess their guilt before God. Something you remember they thought was ridiculous when he told them the dream years ago. Thus, true teshuva, true repentance in their hearts, Yehuda begs Yosef to make him a slave in place of Benjamin. Finally, Yosef could no longer control his feelings, and Yosef reveals himself to his brothers, who are dumbfounded. He invites them to go back to Canaan, get their father, Yaakov, and all they possess, and live in Egypt in Goshen. He weeps over each of his brothers, 
and says this. God sent me ahead of you to ensure that you will live and have descendants on earth to save your lives in a great deliverance. Amen. So it was not you, he says, who sent me here. Yosef proclaims exactly that, but God has sent him there. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh, lord of all his household, and ruler over the land of Egypt. Of course, Jacob is overjoyed when they get back to him and give him this great news. This is the history of Israel. This is our history as believers. We should know these stories. We should use them as a encouragement to each one of us. This Yosef, it's a story of his history, but it's a story of a Mashiach ben Yosef, one who many of the rabbis believe would be a a suffering servant, a Mashiach who would suffer for his people, and how his life in many ways mirrors, as I said, Mashiach Yeshua. They also believed in a Mashiach ben David, Mashiach ben David. What they missed, the rabbis of long ago, or even today, and hopefully they're going to see it through us, is that Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David are one and the same. For while the Messiah was being rejected, while Yosef was being rejected by his brothers in exactly the same way, here would come one who would... Yosef was like a shadow of who Messiah would be. So when the Messiah actually came, he would be hopefully recognized, but he wasn't. When the brothers came back to Yosef, when he was, Yosef was ruler over Egypt, they didn't recognize him, did they? The same thing when Yeshua came the first time, many recognized him. Many Jews believed, but many have denied him. And now we're living in a day and an age where he is going to be recognized even before he comes. And that's us and other believers around the earth. And we are ushering in the time of the second coming of Yeshua HaMashiach, the Messiah of all the world, all of Israel. And that's my story here today. Amen. Praise God. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you that even though it's cold outside, we have our hearts warmed by you. We thank you, Lord God, that everybody who came today can get home safely. And we pray, Lord God, that you would bless each and every one of us in this day ahead, in the weeks ahead, in this year ahead. And Lord, I pray for uh, the rabbis, your blessings on them. And I pray for the food we're about to receive upstairs. I pray that you would uh, be, it would be nourishing to our bodies.
even the fatty bagels and the cake. And we give you glory and honor in Yeshua's name. Amen. If anybody uh, has any questions or needs prayer, just come up and uh, we'll pray for you. Or we'll